Hey everyone, and welcome to Almost Cancelled. I am Peter, that is Connor, and we are going to talk about Twin Peaks, The Return, Part 9. Full spoilers for the episode. Oh, thank you, it's back. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, so there was an empty void last week, and it was, uh, it was quite depressing. But we're back, we're back for Part 9. Uh, got my notes ready, uh, we're going to go through this. Uh, I will be highly impressed if we somehow equal or top the length of the last discussion. I don't, I don't think we will. It's, it's unlikely. I don't think we will, but you never know. Uh, to be fair, I don't want to point out. I mean, this is—I suppose this is technically a tangent in and of itself. But I don't want to point out that, despite the lens of all the videos we've done on these Twin Peaks episodes, there's been very little to no tangenting in any of them. They've been very on point. Yeah, and I was this. Depending on how much of our other videos you watch, you'll know that's maybe somewhat rare. We we tangent relatively often. I wouldn't say we tangent an absurd amount by any means, it's just... Uh, we don't tangent like loads, but after eight episodes, we're bound to have tangented a bit. Yeah, and I feel like we've not in this, so it's all been very to the point. I, I think maybe that's because we've come in with such a large amount of notes that everything's very... Not, not scripted, but there's a, there's a rundown of things to go through. Yeah. Where, where that, and just it takes us so long to get through it all anyway that we haven't got time to go off on other nonsense. Yeah, well with that said, that's, that's delay yeah. no further, and... Uh, Get into part nine. So we opened the, the, this this first little chunk's a little bit awkward because it cut between like two scenes constantly. Like it there was yeah. two kind of main things, but I'll, I'll go through them in order because I, I kind of noted them down as I was going. Uh, so we had Doppelcoop who's uh, up and around, and he still seems to be Doppelcoop. Bob, of course, is not with him anymore, but he still seems to be acting as Doppelcoop has been. Uh, and he basically knows that he's in the right place because there's a red bandana. Uh, Oh, red again. Off, uh, offense, yeah, red, red once again. The idea that red's even, and again here it's like the other characters obviously left this for him. The fact that it's red, in terms of the context of the show, is purely coincidental. But of course, from a outside of the show, from a decision making process, red was picking, uh, was picking, was chosen <laughs> very specifically. We're off to a good start. I'm completely butchering the language. I mean, I, I ju- just uh, to give some context within the show as well, he he might still, you know, he's from the lodge. Red oh, to true. him might have significance because presumably he said that will be the signal. Put out a red, you know, put out some oh, yeah. something red. I, I think just thematically, it's this nice idea that both Cooper and Doppel Cooper are both being guided by Red in some capacity. Mm. Uh, so that's nice. But it's just it's literally just one shot. I think of him walking up and grabbing yeah, his bandana. It, it picks it up and then that's it. Yeah. Put it away. And then it cuts cuts to the plane. We got uh, the FBI team. We got Gordon and Tammy and Albert and Diane's even there. A couple of them are sleeping. Diane and Albert are sleeping. Uh, and Tammy just brings Gordon uh, some coffee and he gets a phone call, and the phone call I've been expecting in fact from uh, Colonel Davis from the CIA about these uh, Major Briggs fingerprints and that's basically it I mean, I think the only maybe notable point of this scene is that uh, he uh, there's a little joke about him mis- mishearing him but it's uh, oh wait, South Dakota? We're, we're in South Dakota that's weird we're so yeah. close by like uh, so, the, yeah, the so that's that. Go back to the farm. Uh, we actually see Chantel, who we saw at the end of the second part. Uh, so that's someone we know he's been working with. And then in just walks Tim Roth, who I had no idea was in this show. Yeah, me either. I, I, he, he just and it was. He didn't even have an entrance. He just kind of walked in from the left, and he was there. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's got this really thick uh, sort of Southern American accent that he's got going. Uh, but I mean, it's nice to see. His name's Hutch. Uh, I picked that up. Uh, so yeah, so they're working. He, uh, no, basically, this part of this scene again is just—it's very by the numbers. He's just—he's going through 
like, oh, who has this place? Oh, farmers on here, they're out back. Uh, get out some new phones. It's just, it's all very instructional. Not a lot to yeah. really chew on in this this snippet. Uh, but it's that. So it goes back to the plane. So like I say, it's cutting back and forth. I, I think actually that's true for a lot of this episode, is that it feels a lot more like an old school Twin Peaks episode, just in terms of the pacing of the scenes. Yeah, there's probably only the Dougie scene that really just sticks on that. Yeah, where it feels like a long... I, well, I'd argue maybe there's one more, but yeah, like there's only a couple of scenes that sort yeah. of stick in the same pacing that uh, we've had recently. Uh, also a lot more music in this one, and I, and not just a lot of music, but also a variety of music. There was also like the upbeat music that you got for like the more comical scenes. Yeah, which I, I thought was really interesting because it made me notice the moments of silence much more. It, Obviously, yeah. Especially when the, the, there was a lot of moments of silence without even dialogue. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to those as we as we go. Yeah. Uh, so we go back to the plane, uh, and it was basically just Gordon saying to Diane, "Like, uh, I know you want to go home, but <laughs> we need to make a, a pit stop uh, in South Dakota. It's related to related to Cooper, Blue Rose, Major Briggs, all all the rest of it." Uh, and it just we get like, this little joke about uh, Albert wakes up for a second. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I know, f you, Albert." <laughs> he goes back mm. to sleep. It's pretty funny. Uh, Worth mentioning that uh, two other things happen here. Diane gets a, or she doesn't get a text. She she checks her phone, and it's blocked. Uh, and this could just be setting this up for later when she checks it again. Um, but it does make me ponder: is she expecting something on the phone? Yeah, she could be. But then again, you know, checking your phone is not unusual. It's, it's not. It's not. I'm just thinking. But why is why is Lynch specifically showing it? You know, maybe I'm reading yeah. into it too much, but. Uh, and also, that we also find out, or at least the, the characters find out in this scene, that uh, Doppelkoop has escaped from the prison. Uh, or as they put it, Cooper flew the coop. As Gordon puts it, Cooper flew the coop, which is a great line. Uh, so yeah, again, short little scene, straight to the point. Go back to the farm again. This is the last part of this sort of like alternating set of scenes. Uh, and Doppelkoop uh, phones the guy in Vegas that we've seen before, the guy who's been hiring the hitmen. So it confirms a big thing here. It confirms that Doppelkoop is actually the one who's ultimately behind these assassins that are going after Doogie. Yes. <laughs> he wants him dead. So that, that kind of connects those together. That's pretty cool. Uh, and obviously you can tell that he's scared of Doppelkoop. He's immediately terrified. He's like, oh, the job better be done next time I phone. Yeah, uh, it's really just solidified to me that you know, Dougie was his plan to put Cooper there instead of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. that when the so that when the switch happened, that there was someone to go instead of him. Yeah, um, absolutely. He 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 yeah, he most likely, but the one that made him. And now that he's out, he's trying to get rid of him because yeah, yeah, because he's like right, he'll go to here when the switch happens, and then I could just kill him and problem solved. Yeah, I might. I mean, he perhaps didn't know exactly where he was going to pop up. He probably, he was probably having him watched or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He, he knew where he'd go to wherever Dougie was, but yeah, yeah. Uh, no, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so it sets up that he he's very aware, or at least partially. I mean, how much like does he know that Cooper's out of it and doesn't realize what who he is yet? Like, the, the, like how much of that information does he have? I'm not sure, but he does seem to know. That he's there, he wants him dead because he knows that one of them has to die, uh, and that's that's pretty cool. Uh, so he orders Hutch and Chantel to kill the warden, Warden Murphy, uh, from the prison, and then mentions that he's got a job for them in Vegas, which presumably it's, it says double hitter, I think is the phrase he uses, which presumably means uh, uh, Diggy Cooper, Cooper, yeah. Cooper Diggy. Uh, so 
and possibly eight the spike if it's a double hitter. Essentially, I was I was thinking is the warden one of those? No, because he yeah. says go after the warden, and then he's got a double hitter in Vegas. Ah, uh, okay. So I'm thinking the second one is Ike the Spike, just to go along with the idea from before where Ike the Spike went after the previous assassin. Yeah. Well, the yeah. job was Cooper and the previous assassin, so I feel like that's probably who he means by that. Uh, but yeah, so then we go to the, the first of several police stations, and I say several because just the way I form my notes, I always put like a heading just by the location for each scene, uh, just so I know where we are. And I realised that I'd written down police station like eight times and there's three different police stations in this yeah, you episode. Yeah, to, to specify which one. So yeah, there, there's the police station in Vegas, there's the police station in South Dakota, and there's the police station in Twin Peaks. So there's a lot of, a lot of police stations in this one. Uh, but, so Dougie, or, I, keep, I shouldn't say Dougie, Cooper and Janie E are at a police station and they're waiting and Bushnell, uh, Cooper's boss, or Dougie's boss, is in seeing the, the detectives. And something I noticed in the, the credits for this one, actually, is these three detectives are all brothers. <laughs> they all have the same last name I can name. see it now that you've said it though yeah I'll, I'll get the same last name uh, and then I'll they'll stand there and the, the key things I sort of noted out here obviously there's a couple of key details about Doogie's past that are very yeah. interesting but uh, before I mention that I just wanted to say that uh, Bushnell seems to be kind of picking up that something weird's going on with, with Cooper slash Doogie because he's like wait his car blew up and now someone tried to have him assassinated and it's like he's offering the 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 floor for them to like offer some information back he's like I'm concerned about him it's almost, it's almost got like a father figure type of thing going here mm. and they don't offer anything they just kind of give him like a stock oh if anything comes up we'll or we'll look into it kind of thing uh, and Bushnell kind of he sort of like almost forms a fist like he's getting angry and then he like calms down and leaves and he goes out to talk to Cooper and Ginny E but, I, but I am convinced at some point he's punching someone because we've been told that he was a boxer mm-hmm and you know, I'm I'm just waiting for it. I can see it. You can, and I think it's interesting that you know, as we're waiting for Cooper to sort of become who he was, that Bushnell almost is starting to gravitate towards his former self as well. Even yeah. though he's still an old man, he's like, oh, he's he's getting the fish ready. Uh, really also, I want to point out that when uh, Bushnell goes out to talk to, and says goodbye, and he says to Cooper, "Oh, tomorrow you can have the day off, rest of the day off, but tomorrow we're going to start start figuring this out. We're going to work together." And he leaves. The detectives all stand in the in their office and they're watching through the window they wait until Bushnell's actually left and went through the elevator or whatever until they start talking again they just stand yeah. there waiting that, um, that's it that's the, one of those first moments where there's a lot of silence for just you know three characters just stood there mm. doing nothing just waiting just in complete silence uh, so one of, the, one of the tidbits that came up uh, during when Bushnell was in the scene uh, was that Dougie was in a car crash before he went to work for him and sometimes the effects pop back up, which maybe explains why people aren't reacting too strongly to the way he's acting right now. Because yeah, maybe this is maybe just a bit more severe than all, but I think we've questioned this a few times. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think it's ever been as bad as he is right now, because, I mean, the way they keep speaking about it, it sounds like maybe he'd have, like, a bad hour or something like that, whereas this is, like, no, this has been days and days of him acting like a zombie. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but the reason why I left that till now is because we got a lot more information. After, after Bushnell leaves and they start talking again, uh... So he had a car crash before he went to work there. They also mentioned that there's no records of Doogie before 1997, which yes. maybe tells us that that's when he was created. Now, they, they speculate, oh, witness protection, maybe he, you know, his, his identity was erased by the government, uh, or maybe he has a criminal on the run or something like that. But they, 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 specif- they, they theorise witness protection. That's the one they offer up. Uh, and they're going to look into it. But 1997, interesting. Mm. That's, what, seven years uh since Cooper went to the lodge and Doppelcoop came out, 
Yeah, give or take. Give or take. I know the show started in 1989. I don't know if it was still in 1989 when they, when it ended. But yeah, that's it. Uh, also, um, he's been working there for 12 years. Yeah, yeah. So. And if this is taking place in 2015, which I think it is, uh, that puts it back to 2003. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything, but <laughs> just just. So, no, no, just you know, that's that's only six years after the the ninety seven. So. Yeah. You know, there's it's it's quite a short time frame for a lot of these things to have been happening. Yeah, it's the right amount of time though for him to meet a wife and have the kid though, because the it kids, is, yeah, because the kids about what would you say eight nine something like that. Yeah, I'd say about that. So you know, there's enough time for all that because that day after he started the job. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plenty of time for all that. Um. So detective, they talk about questioning him again. He's like, they kind of realise there's no point because of the way he acts and then the way Janie is as well. Yeah. Uh, they say, oh, he's like a dog, but she has all the bark. I believe was the the phrase they yeah. used. But uh, he gets an idea. He goes out and he swaps his coffee cup. He comes out. And says, oh, there's another fresh cup of coffee for you. And he takes a cup. I want to point out, cup of coffee was red. Yeah, I got that as well. The path to answers is in red. Uh, so obviously this is a big deal. They they bring the cup back and uh, they've got the fingerprints. They put it in the evidence bag. They're going to get get it examined. And I'm like, all right, now Cooper's fingerprints are going to be on record here. Is there going to be that? That's the first thing. Oh, is is there going to be an alert in the same way that there was for for yeah, Briggs? Yeah, yeah. And they're going to go. Hang on, Cooper, in the, over there in Vegas right now when all this is going on here. This is funny. This is weird. Yeah, he's not the Flash. <laughs> like, <laughs> so how, how, how's he showing up in Vegas? Like, and I feel like between you know the key getting sent back to the Great Northern, between like his fingerprints, between like him being on camera, uh, the last well not last episode, but when he was you know when he was attacked and the police cameras yeah. and the, the news reporters were out and all that, uh, between all this, like there's a lot of breadcrumbs that are going to potentially lead people to him, which is yeah. very interesting. So that's another big one, obviously, is the police getting his fingerprints. Uh, but yeah, so so red cup. So wait, wait on, where's my notes? Uh, red rock. Uh, so then some upbeat music comes in there's this other, other cop comes in the room uh, with news of Ike the Spike that they realise that the fingerprints they got from the gun were him they've located him, comedy music's playing uh, it's also worth mentioning that the, the, that cop's like one of the brothers their laugh is that weird laugh he has Like they bring it up again because they, they go on a little bit of a tangent about uh, the broken tail light and he had to pay like 200 plus dollars to get it fixed uh, and he thinks this is hilarious. He's, he's cracking himself up. Uh, but he, so the cop comes out and talks about Ike the Spike. He's like, oh, let's go and get him. And even the timing of this scene was kind of weird. It's like it, it had that kind of. You remember, in, I think it was episode three or four, when in Twin Peaks the cop came in and did the, the stance and waited yeah. for like five seconds. He didn't do that exactly, but there was this kind of like offbeat kind of. Just a, a pause. Yeah, it's like he, he would pause his, like, his stance at various points. For the timing, it was kind of offbeat. It was yeah. Uh, there was a lot of that this episode. Just, just waiting, just longer than you expect for something. Yeah, I mean, Lynch often has a kind of a weird timing for his dialogue, where he'll let the pauses be a bit longer than most directors would. Mm. Uh, it's kind of his thing. Uh, but no, so he tells about Eight Spike. They're going to go and deal with Eight Spike. And I, and also, I noticed here that they all leave in this really weird, formulaic way. They they all walk out the same door in a line. And it's, it's like a train of people going out the, the room. It's, it's almost like, a, you know, if it was a musical, this was like a choreographed part of it. Yeah. Kind of thing. I, I, I think it's just like they're, they're just so in sync. They're all one unit. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it could be that simple. Yeah. Like, like everything they've done, they, they seem to be doing it all together. Like there's always the, the three of them, which is strange in itself for police. 
typically yeah, they work in pairs. When you have three brothers all in the same police department, you you pair them up or triple them up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's it's just strange. It's just showing no, they they they're all just this one unit. So. But we don't cut away. It's actually interesting to mention. This is the only Cooper scene of the episode, which I thought was, I, I was. I kept expecting to come back to him later on. Yeah. But uh, we go back out, and you know, Janie E's just kind of sitting there. I mean, there is quiet, long shot of them just sitting, and then the camera kind of goes into into Cooper as his eyes caught something. And then we eventually get to the the reverse shot, and we see what he's looking at. He's looking at the American flag in the corner of the room, and a little bit of you know music starts playing, the patriotic stuff. And he he's entranced, and I was like, "Huh, is, is this maybe like again?" Because obviously, working at the FBI, the, the exact you know the flag will be there as well. Like, is that the yeah. sort of place where it'll? And I'm just wondering, even just going beyond that, the sense of duty because he is like sort of a sworn part of the yeah, he's, a, he's an agent of the government. Yeah, like I just I feel like he's remembering his duty, and obviously the scene continues. The door next to it opens and a woman walks out who works at the police station. She walks past and she is wearing red shoes. And he is fixated on the red shoes. He's following the red shoes. Uh, my my one disappointment in this scene mm. is that Janie E didn't catch him just following the shoes. Do, do you know? I thought that was going to happen. I thought I thought it was going to look like he was staring at her ass or something. And he, she was going to yeah. He was, he was just following her legs. And I was just expecting her to just give him yeah. a smack or something. Yeah, but he follows the red shoes. Which obviously we talk a lot about red, red leading to things, and the fact that he's recognizing the red leading them to things, maybe because I don't know if this woman, I don't think this woman's red shoes are actually important. I think it's just he's starting to pay attention. Yeah, he's he's just seeing red and going to it. But uh, of course, as she leaves the the scene, he notices the uh, the outlets, the uh, wall sockets, and you hear a little bit of the hum. And it's like he's recognizing it. It's like he's aware that he came from there, or if he's not aware he came from there, that he's aware that something. It's important. Uh, Definitely, he's 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 noticed something to do with it because there's no other reason for him to fixate on it. Yeah, so it's, it is almost like there is like small pieces of this starting to come together for him. Where it's not like, up until now, everything he's recognised has been part of his old life. You know, case files. Uh, you're lying. You know when he recognises things. Agent. You know all all those yeah. sort of keywords. The flag as well. I think ties into that. But then noticing the red and then noticing the outlets, it's like no. Now he's noticing things that happened because of Twin Peaks, because of his journey here. Yeah, he's he's learning. Yeah. Rather than remembering. Yeah. Good way of putting it. Uh, so so that was that scene. That was that scene. Uh, <laughs> on the page two. <laughs> so. Uh, Oh yeah, there's a small scene. It's the, the cops are on their way to see Spike, but before they get there, there's a small tidbit scene where the, the, it's ca- calling back to the joke about the tail light, where they're actually looking at the guy's car, and the you know the big guy who keeps laughing all the time starts laughing again from the distance, and that's yeah. all it is. It's just a, it's, a, it's just a little cracked it's a, me up though. It's a little punchline to the previous joke they set up. Yeah, but for some reason they think this is funny, and I, but hey, so the, so we got Spike in the motel, and the cops are coming for him, and it sort of cuts between the cops and him, uh, and. He calls JT, who I'm assuming is, uh, you know, the guy who hired him, because uh, the message he basically gives him is that uh, the job failed. He, he has like specific phrasing for it, like yeah, code he words. Says, he says, "No cigar, taking medical leave." Oh, we know he, yeah, he, he lost a chunk of his hand, so yeah, he, he actually is taking medical leave. That's not even codes. That's just yeah. Yeah, yeah, and obviously no, you know, close but no cigar. So yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's not really code. This is well. It? Maybe code's not the right word, but he's not hes not saying over the phone, oh, the assassination attempt failed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's code in that he's disguising it, so 
the police, if should they listen to the call, are not going to know exactly what he means. There's nothing to incriminate him. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, so the cops coming. Upbeat music still playing. As the cops coming in, the upbeat sort of comedy music is still going. Although that said, some uh, dark synth kind of creeps in as we actually get to Spike when, he, when they sort of confront him. There's some yeah. dark synth kind of comes into it uh, as a backing track. Uh, I want to point out that Spike, uh, both in this scene, because we've seen him in the same location uh, in the, you know, the last episode we've seen him in, where he got the call to for the job. Uh, I just want to point out that he was sitting in front of a mirror on both scenes. Yeah, al- almost everything in that shot, until he leaves the room, Yeah, everything we see in that shot is looking through the mirror. At first, it's just him sitting in the chair, and you know, we're just looking at his, his face, but he gets up and moves around, and we still just stay on the mirror. And I think, given this show deals a lot with like alternate personalities and reflections of people and doppelgangers, I feel like that's quite an important thematic little thing there. I, I, I don't necessarily think it's saying that he's in any ways a, a doppelganger or anything like that. No, but... no, just it, it's. I think it's just the idea of showing that maybe he has two sides to him. Like he has a he has a public persona, mm. and then he has, you know, the, the what he actually does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a great little moment actually. Again, when the three brothers enter, they all enter kind of in this weird unison way. Uh, mm. And I want to point out they, they crack a joke about uh, the palm, uh, the whole palm. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, we we've still got it and stuff. Like that. Yeah, uh, which sets them off laughing again. So, yeah. so now, uh, so so that's the the at least for now. I don't know. We might see speak again, but for now, that is the end of the Odyssey just of a, Ike the Speak. Just thought about something else about the the mirror. Mm. Uh, we, whenever we saw Bob, it was often through mirrors. Oh yeah, yeah. and it's the idea that maybe the reflections kind of reveal the truth. Oh yeah, I can see that. Um, certainly, whenever Bob, yeah, well, I mean, obviously we saw Bob a lot without mirrors, but yeah, whenever we were, it was revealed that Bob was inside someone, it was always in a mirror. It was that was yeah, always it was a, refle- it was a reflection, and and that's it. It's like this, this idea that the reflection distorts, and you see the truth of what's going on rather than just what your eyes see first. Yeah, and arguably here the, the idea is that there's nothing supernatural about this guy because what we're seeing in the mirror is exactly what he's doing anyway. Right, it's just showing yeah. you no, he's he's just pretty evil. That's, this is who he is. Yeah, there's no no deception here. Mm. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, so if we go to Twin Peaks Police Station for a very comical scene between Andy and Lucy, all I've written down is Andy, Lucy, the chair, beige or red. That is the extent of my notes for this scene. Uh, so basically, what's happening here is that Lucy's on the computer at our, at our reception desk. And she's basically flipping. Yeah, you know, when you're on like I, I don't know, pick a website, Amazon or whatever, and you're looking. At, uh, in this case, it's a chair, but usually it happens with t-shirts as well. You've got a little color selector, and it'll switch the colors to show you the different design that you can buy. And she's just flipping between the two options, which are a sort of red pattern or a beige pattern. And she gets up out of her seat. And again, this is very good comic timing with this one because it's a very long and drawn out. But it's like she gets up out of her seat. She walks over to Andy's desk, who we see his desk is sort of like in a room behind her. And she's like, Andy, I really love the beige chair. And she walks back over to her chair. She sits down. And a good five seconds passes. Yeah. Good good, good bit of time passes. Then Andy gets up, walks over to her. Now, Lucy, I really love the red chair. And Andy's delivery is fantastic. I, I love the way he delivers his... Uh, it's, the, it's the way he kind of looks round backwards and, and sort of yeah. has his chin up. Like, like I, I, I just love that they got up and walked to each other to say this. Is they're just you know mm. turning around at the desk. Oh yeah, it's like a whole parade. It's like it's not just that they want they want to know they want the, that that chair because obviously basically what this is is they're arguing over what, which color chair to buy for their house. Uh, it, it's that they have to make a show. It's like a little ceremony every time one of them has to make their point. Yeah. Uh, so then he sits down, 
and time passes, he gets back up again, he walks back over to her and says, I'm sorry, Pumpkin, we can get the base chair, and he, you know, he snuggles into her, uh, and he walks back, and she has this little smirk, at first I'm like, oh, she's being devious, she's got her way, but then she orders the red chair anyway, and it's almost like, oh, she's, she's, she, she thinks it was sweet that he, he gave in, and he's like, oh, get the chair you want, so she's getting the red one to please him. It's actually kind of a sweet scene in the and, end. Andy's playing it. Andy's playing it. I, I feel like Andy is about the entire sandwich short of a full loaf of bread to be be, be that devious. <laughs> Potentially, I just I just love the idea that, that that's that's just the impression he puts across. If we saw him in a mirror, he'd have the evil smirk. If we saw him in a mirror, he'd say he'd be wearing a tweed jacket and he'd have glasses on. He'd be really, yeah, really yeah, smart. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but no, it's just a really, really sweet thing. Obviously, again, red's coming into it, red or beige. Like, he picks the red one. No, I don't think there's any importance to that necessarily. It's just a case of thematically they went with red because it's Twin Peaks and red leads to answers. Uh, also, of course, uh, it's not the first red chair in this episode. Or it's not the last red chair in this episode. Well, it is the first one, but uh, it actually thematically sets up another chair we're going to see later on, which is red and does have answers in it. Uh, yeah. Which is a neat little thing. So, yeah, it was a fun little scene. I have, I, there's not a lot to analyze. It was, like, it was a but... strange little, just, it was a, a quirky Twin Peaks scene. It was, you know, what, you, yeah. what you'd kind of get in, in the original show. What which we've is, not had a lot of in this show. We've not, yeah, we've not had a lot of it in this show, which is kind of, it's kind of funny because coming after the last part, the last episode, which was obviously this big, operatic, thematic, really special artistic episode, coming back to this, it's, it feels almost too normal. Yeah, <laughs> and then adding in the fact that we're having a few more of these little quirky scenes that are a lot more like the old I think, show. I think that's kind of the point, though. It's kind of showing that even in this world where all that you know crazy stuff happens, uh, like that we saw in the, the last episode, it's still life. There's all these little quirky little bits that still happen every day. It's almost like Lucy and Andy are the. This this is just the the regular human beings. This is the. Yeah, all this stuff's going on, but here's here's what represents humanity. You know, God forbid we're all that <laughs> stupid, but like, you know, but they're completely innocent and oblivious to it all. Like, yeah. they don't know what's going on, and it's not so much that they're saying that humanity is stupid and they don't know about this stuff. It's just that they represent humanity in the sense that they are completely oblivious to what's happening. Uh, yeah, and and they can have a happy life. Yeah, and because of that, their their big disputes are over which color a chair to buy, which is you know. <laughs> light going as as decisions as decisions go <laughs> exactly uh so then we actually have a what felt like a really random scene and it's still yeah. it's still pretty random uh it makes a little bit more sense once i realized who it was in the scene but i didn't get that right away i had to remember who the name was because uh, mm. they mentioned the name and i was like oh, who's the name and it wasn't until i was like oh okay that's who it is uh so we have this scene it cuts to a house we've not seen before and we see a character in blue pajamas and it's actually kind of creepy because he, he runs for it's, it's kind of like a, they've obviously picked a very specific house so they could have this effect where there's a lot of like running from one door to the next but from our angle we only see him like running past like briefly between like two hallways or something like that where yeah. you just see him go from point A to point B but then he's behind another wall so because of the layout of this house there's a few of that and then eventually you hear him run and then it, like, it, it hits something and we find out he hits a wall he's hit the wall so hard he appears to be dead uh, and one of the things that's fell off the wall is a is a picture of the Great Northern, and it's shattered. Yes. Which thematically, I mean, this read into that, like the fact that oh, trouble's coming to Twin Peaks because the the picture of the Great Northern has been it. shattered. That that shot of you know the the waterfall is kind of 
maybe one of the, the first images you think of when it comes yeah. to Twin Peaks. It's one, it's one of the most common establishing shots in the original show. Exactly. So it, immediately that, that kind of sets up the whole, the, the town as a whole. It, it, it re- represents that. I mean, it could specifically just mean the Great Northern as well. I, I wouldn't it discount could, yeah. that, but uh, probably the whole town. It probably, but, I mean, it might go to the Great Northern first then, but, but then by extension, the whole town's going to feel the effect yeah, of it. Yeah, so, so things are going to shatter, because that's it, isn't it? It, it shatters yeah. and it falls. Uh, but of course, this is actually related to the Great Northern because it's uh, it's Ben's son, it's Audrey's brother. I mean, mm. if you'd told me before this started we were going to see Audrey's brother before we see Audrey, Adam, like, nah, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. No, nah, we're going. To see- We've seen every member of the Horn family except Audrey at this point, including yeah. a new member. Yeah, yeah, we we've had a new member. <laughs> <laughs> and we've still not had Audrey. Uh, that one, she's a he's a devious one. Uh, but yeah, so Jonathan Horn. Uh, Appears to be dead. I mean, they could say that he's still alive. It's, it's not yeah, conclusive. Yeah, there was. It wasn't awful looking. Yeah, you know, there was blood, and he was lying still. But if they told me he was unconscious, I'd yeah. believe it. Yeah, you could you could buy it. So, so yeah. Then we go to the Briggs house. This was a very fascinating scene. So, oh yeah, this is one of these things, things that Twin Peaks does, where it falls up from something they brought up like four episodes ago, five episodes ago, however long it's been. Uh, so Bobby brings Hawk and uh, Truman over to his mother's house and comes in and says, oh yeah, we're here to question you about uh, Agent Cooper. Uh, you know, when he came to see Major Briggs the day he left. We're here to talk about that. And she immediately just stops him. It's like, yeah. say no more. Uh, and she basically reveals that Briggs told her they would come. Like, he knew back then. Like, one day, and he, it's not, not even just, you know, some cops. It was like, no, no, Bobby... With Hawk and Truman, although as she points out, she wasn't aware that it'd be this Truman, which is a nice little, yeah, nice little touch. Uh, but these three specifically would come and ask about Cooper, and all all he all he said about it, he, he wouldn't say anymore. All he said was, "And when they come, give them this." And there's a lot, and she kind of pauses from her story, and she's like, "Oh, do you want some coffee?" And it's like, "No, is that what he said? Give them coffee? No, woman, get to the point. Like you're, you're winning." And I want to point out there's uh, original music playing throughout this scene, some good synth stuff, which is kind of ominous at first, but gets kind of hopeful as it goes on. There's some hopeful tones in there mm. as it gets to kind of the point, and uh, it makes sense given what's happening on screen as well. So she's got a red chair. She's like, here it is, follow me over here. She's got a red chair. Yeah, she actually says, this is the chair. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like she's answering the previous scene with Andy and Lucy. No, this is the chair. This is the yeah. chair they picked. Uh, but she's, it's got a little latch on it and it opens up a little compartment and she pulls out this, well it's like a metal rod yeah and as as she's getting this out and she's giving it to them she she t- tells she tells about how he he always did this he always seemed to know things about the future and we saw that in the original show he talked about how he, he knew Bobby would be okay and she kind of brings that up, maybe not that specific story but she says, oh he always knew that Bobby would eventually be okay he somehow predicted that you, you you know you were going through a rough patch in your life but you'd eventually be okay and be in this kind of position uh and uh so and it gets kind of hopeful because bobby kind of looks you know it hits him he's kind of heartfelt about it and yeah. he uh like the, the music's getting kind of hopeful and he's getting sort of teary-eyed and that's it's, it it's because he's he's going in his mind he's probably thinking that his dad never saw him like this mm. when he was alive but then he's like but maybe he did maybe he knew because you know he had this exact knowledge that he'd be there with the others as as the, the unit of the police. Yeah, cause, well, that was the thing. Like, later on in the show, when we had that, because Bobby was always kind of dickish to his dad, but then there was that scene later on where he started to soften with him, and Briggs told him about like, like, oh, I had yeah. this dream about you in the future, and you'd be okay, and we'd embrace. 
yeah, I, I like the idea that Bobby now looks back at his dad really fondly and maybe regrets how he was with him and sees mm. him for the person that he was and yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of uplifting and every time Bobby talks about him now it does feel like he has this air of respect about him which he never had when he was a teenager definitely so I'll have more on that in a bit because uh, we do continue the because obviously part of me was thinking oh this metal rod won't be brought up again for three episodes but we do come back to it in a little bit uh, but we go to the police station uh, in South Dakota with uh, you know detective we've seen before and Lieutenant Knox from the from the CIA and whoever uh, so I want to point out here Diane is also wearing red shoes. Mm. I noticed this during the during the scene here. She's wearing red shoes, and there's a funny thing where she's told she's not allowed to smoke, and she's like, "It's a goddamn morgue." <laughs> yeah, they're already dead. Uh, is kind of her point. Uh, now, of course, we have to mention before we you know get to the the, the other scene with uh, when they actually go see the dead body with Albert and all that. She gets a text on her phone from an unknown caller, although it does very much seem lately that this is Doppelcoop that's sending her a text. Uh, the message reads, Around the dinner table, the conversation is lively. Which, if I recall correctly, he said that or something similar to it when she's seen him uh, at the prison. Yeah, and I think, we did we not see Coop, Doppelcoop texting that? Like, uh, the, you know, when he was at the, uh, at the start of the episode? Mm-hmm. When he had his, his flip phone. Because I, I didn't see catch the whole message, but I definitely at the time caught him writing the word lively at the end. Yeah, it probably was. Uh, like you say, it, it cut, cut away so quick, I never really got a sense of what he was typing. Yeah. Uh, even on the second viewing, I didn't quite catch what he was I, typing. I definitely caught lively, because he finishes it off typing it. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, it makes sense that she got it later then, because obviously it was blocked. It was like, now she has signal, that's when it finally yeah. went through. So it makes, makes some sense. It's interesting, though, I think... Like, was she expecting this text? And if she was expecting this text, is she worried about it because she doesn't like that she's getting texts from him? Uh, or, or is there more to this? Like, she she does seem concerned. The music that comes in is very dark and sort of moody uh, mm. when she when she gets this message. Uh, and she, she does certainly look concerned about this contact. And why is he contacting her? Is it because there's more to their meeting in the past when he was Doppelcoop that we are currently aware of? Or is it this just like a fresh taunting of yeah is this is this a threat essentially yeah like is there more that she's not letting on about about what happened uh now obviously we theorize a lot of bad things but is there more to it is she complicit in a couple of things that maybe she didn't realize because maybe at the time he tricked her into doing some stuff and she now regrets that yeah Uh, before she realized it wasn't really cooper yeah and like you know did did she do something that led to someone else's death or led to someone or led to something bad that she you know she she's has guilt over. Uh, so, we go into the morgue uh, with the rest of the characters, with the rest of the FBI, Tammy, Albert, the rest of the crew, uh, and the detective has to go in, recounts the, the kind of the story we got in the first episode, uh, first two episodes, with Bill Hastings, the, the dead body with the, the head, it was Briggs's body, of course, all that stuff. Although one new t- detail he, he does bring up uh, as they're going in, he mentions that uh, a few days later, Hastings' secretary was killed in a car explosion. Yeah, I don't recall that. No, I think that I'm pretty sure that's new information. Because he mentions the the wife. We me- knew that. Mentions the wife, uh, and they did imply that they were going to set up the uh, the, the the lawyer. lawyer. So yeah. even though we didn't see him be arrested, that was implied that was going to happen. So that didn't come as a surprise. But the secretary going up in a car explosion is interesting because a, he's not the first time we've seen a car explosion on this show. Mm. And, it, and obviously, 
Doppelcoop went after the wife, so it makes me wonder, did they also set these assassins after the Is secretary? You have to assume so, just any any loose ends still. Yeah, it, it just it makes sense. Uh, Albert cracks one of his jokes, because uh, he basically he's recounting so much of this this, this uh, story, this case in detail, that Albert eventually goes, what happens in season two? Uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, and Gordon apologises. And yeah, Gordon's like, oh yeah, apologies in advance for Albert. Uh once again, so so yeah, uh, so we go into the into the morgue. They're looking at the body. Uh, Albert seems to be flirting a little bit with Constance. They seem to be impressed with each other, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but we learn some very interesting new details about Bill uh, and Ruth, who was the the murdered uh, librarian that the you know they thought he killed. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, we find out some really interesting things. They were they were uh, they had like this shared hobby. They were publishing a blog. About an alternate dimension. Mm. Uh, obviously, my ears my ears perked up. Yes, uh, in this show, that means something. Yeah, I, I perked up. Uh, so, so yeah, Albert reads the case file and it says, "Oh yeah, there was a final blog entry about two weeks ago, and this is what it read: Today we finally entered what we call the zone, and we met the major." Now, obviously, there's a lot more in this later. When they go and see Bill a bit later, we're going to have a lot more stuff to chew on here but this so I'm, I'm going to leave the speculation here for then because that's where yeah, we get do it all in one go. yeah so we'll, we'll do it all when we get to that but obviously I'm like oh man like so it's not just random that it's Major Briggs's body like it's related to what they were up to and they weren't just having an affair I mean they, they seem to be having an affair as well of course but it, they were doing something related they, they were killed for a reason they're, they're not just random victims they, they, they were poking at things that led them to Doppelcoop and led them to this world through all these characters. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Uh, I I do laugh that when they find all this out, uh, and Gordon takes Albert outside into the hall, he's like, "Let's think out loud." Uh, as, you know, and he's this yeah. is it's one of these fire jokes because he's speaking so loud. But they basically just reaffirm, you know, you know, for them it was just Cooper, but they, he's seen him twenty five years ago. The body's that age. And now Cooper's around in South Dakota, like he's out and about, you know, Doppelcoop's out on the loose. And there's no new information here, but it's just they're putting the pieces together, saying, oh, this yeah. is weird how all these things are lining up. Uh, uh, final point of this scene is that they find out about the ring that's inside the, they found inside the body, which if, you, if you've forgotten, and to be fair, you might have, because it was like episode three or something like that, the last heard about this. Uh, but inside the body of Briggs, there was a ring with an inscription that said, to Dougie, uh, love or from Janie E, whoever it was phrased. Uh, so obviously, so not only are we getting the fingerprints of Cooper in Las Vegas, now Albert and the rest of the FBI have heard the name Dougie in Janie E. Yeah, like, that's if, it. So if they get the fingerprints come up and they look at the case file, they'll get they'll get Cooper's fingerprints and they'll see Dougie's name attached when they get to the case file with Janie E because they'll both be in the you know the the interviews. Yeah. So so that's it. It's all there now. Yeah, all, all these things that can, can connect will connect, presumably. Yeah. Uh, but it's all uh, great stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of notes for that scene. Not as much, perhaps, as the uh, as uh, later on. But uh, so then we cut to a small scene with Jerry, who's in the woods, and he's uh, he's tripping. He's tripping. He's high off his nut. Uh, and I want to return to some thoughts you had. The last time we saw him, and he thought his car was missing. You had some thoughts about how maybe. Maybe he's going through what Cooper's also going through about the car being yeah. missing and all that. Mm-hmm. And I was he, so in this scene, he basically believes that his foot is not his foot to the point where he's he's hearing a voice, and we hear the voice as well. 
it's like I am not your foot, and it's like this high pitched kind of kind of voice. So it's interesting how it was subtitled, much like when we we're in the lodge. Yeah, in fact, it reminded me a lot of the arm, specifically the the yeah. arm in this season with you know the the, the weird tree looking yeah thing version of him. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, it makes me wonder. Like, so what is this saying? If we're continuing this idea that he's going through what Cooper's going through, like is is it the idea that he is aware that he's not himself or that part of him's not there kind of thing like if, if we're linking up to cooper like noticing the the, the outlets and yeah. going oh wait a minute something's not quite right like i'm starting to realize that i'm not really me yeah or or perhaps jerry's more having like a an out of body experience where you know he's saying i'm not your foot because he almost thinks he is cooper and he's seeing this foot and he goes that's not mine all right so, okay yes yeah, that's what you're saying yeah yeah, I can see that. More of a mental link rather than a physical. Yeah, again, this was, an, was a lot of comedy in this episode. This was a really funny scene at the end because he he, so he eventually picks up his foot and it flips him onto his back. So it's a good little bit of physical comedy. I imagine that was a stunt double because uh, Jerry, pretty old to be doing that stunt. Yeah, <laughs> I, yep. I, I I don't blame him because that's gotta hurt your back even as a young man. Not, not that I could tell, admittedly, like because obviously the big beard and camera's far away, but I assume it was a stunt double. So. Uh, so then we go to the Twin Peaks police station, and and here's where things get, get interesting. <laughs> get really interesting. Now, I just want to mention there's a little joke here about uh, Lucy. She's on a lunch break, but she's still sitting at a reception desk. So when the, the sheriff and that came in and they say hi, and that's all they do, they're just saying hi. She's like, "I'm not here, sheriff. I'm on my lunch break." And then later on, when they're walking back out, she's holding up her hand like, "No, nope, not here." It's great. Just Lucy being Lucy. Uh, my first notes for this this sort of section. Uh, it's just F Chad, and that was that was just immediately when I seen him. Not 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 even no, like, before he was even a dick. Yeah, uh, I also I noted down that he was eating two microwave dinners. Like he had two of them out, and plus a bowl of something else. He was like, and he was like flipping between them. He was eat, having a big lunch, is what I'm saying. Don't blame him. Micro, those microwave meals are the shitty and tiny, and you need at least three of them to have like be half full. Oh no, I I agree, but they're pathetic, and that's why you shouldn't even bother with them. It's, it's just the idea that he just buys multiples of them for lunch rather than just get a sandwich or they're something. Convenient if you want something hot. That's other convenient things you could have. I, I I'm just saying he it made him more of a dick. Like I just looked at him and went, "You're being a dick already." I don't know. I've sat there with three microwave meals in front of me before. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> so. <laughs> So they come out of the room and they're basically like, "Hey, Chad, no eating, no eating lunch in the the conference room." He's like, "You guys have donuts and coffee in here all the time, Chad. Go." Uh, and again, very long out, very funny. Him getting up, trying to like balance all of his food in his hand, and Hawk's very reluctant to help him get open the door for him. Funny stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's just where we get to some of the some of the real meat here because. Basically, they're trying to open this thing. The sheriff Truman can't figure it out, and Bobby and I, I like how this is filmed as well because Sheriff Truman looks over and we don't see Bobby. Like he he looks off frame, and he yeah. says, "Oh, what are you smelling about?" And then the camera pans over and we see him smiling, and Bobby's like, "I know how to open that. My dad brought one home one night." And what I like about this is going back to like the idea that Bobby, whenever his dad comes up now, it's all these happy memories, and that he's actually. He feels warm thinking about it now. He feels warm to yeah. all these things, and the idea that his dad had all these things mapped out, and he like he was trying to help him and all that, like it gives him happiness. So the idea that he's he's smiling because he's like, oh, I remember this. It's, that it's and, and also the idea that he's probably accepted that his dad genuinely did see this, 
you know, in, in oh, yeah. his, his dad saw his future. When he goes outside, when they find out what's inside the thing, uh, he says he did it again. Like yeah. he, he uses those words. Like he's he's basically starting to realize that his dad wasn't just some nut job, but he actually and that's had... it. And and he realized these memories. You know where when his dad brought one of these home and showed him how to open it. It wasn't just a oh here's something from work. It was you know like mm. going hey you're gonna need this one day. I'm gonna make sure you've got that knowledge. I I do like how because he says we need to go back outside and go outside. I like that this fancy device. The way to open it is literally just to throw it into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty secure. Yeah, um, so they open it. There's uh, some bits of paper inside. I actually drew the symbols. Uh, one of which, by the way, is the symbol that uh, Doppelcoop drew or had on the playing card that he, sh- he showed uh, Daria back way back in part two. Mm. Uh, which I, th- I did see some people speculate in the break. I was doing a bit of reading online because you know, what else was I going to do when there was no episode last week uh, about how that symbol might be Mother. You know, Mother of Babylon. Like it might be representing oh, okay. that, or it might be representing one of the bugs that you know went into the girl's mouth. Yeah, it could be representing one of those. Uh, but not w- worth mentioning. But that's on this. Uh, so there's two triangles. Very, very clearly, what that means. Twin Peaks. Two peaks. Yeah, yeah. We got that back in the old show. It was you know yeah. when we got to the, the cave. Now it's worth mentioning. Above the first peak, there is a red circle, which I took to be the moon. And then above the second peak, there is the symbol. We'll call it the bug symbol, for lack of a better term, right now. Uh, above that peak, and then above that, there is a half red moon. Which is why I, th- I thought the first one was a moon as well. Yeah, that's it. Because at first I was, you know, going left to right. I was like, oh, is it a sun? Because it was yeah. you know, red. Yeah, it's red, yeah. But obviously but... red moon's also a phrase. Like, you know, obviously, yeah, yeah. again, Twin Peaks, red. Like, we're bringing the colour back into it. Uh, and it's interesting that, you know, in drawing the symbol, he changed his pen. Like, he could have just drawn the whole thing in, in, the, in the black pen that he was using. But no, he, he made the choice to say, no, no, no. The this moons are red. to be in red. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of information written here. Uh, some of which, of course, gets explained immediately from uh, Bobby. But uh, 253 yards east of Jack Rabbit's place, before. Palace. L- Sorry? Or pl- Palace, yeah. That's just me uh, reading yeah. my writing wrong. I'm missing the A there. Um, before leaving Jack Rabbit's palace, uh, put some soil in your pocket. Uh, then there's a time, uh, which was 2.53, and then two dates, uh, 1st of October and the 2nd of October, uh, which, as the sheriff points out, is two days from now. Yes. Um, so basically, we find out that Jack Rabbit's Palace isn't a real place per se. It's a place that uh, Major Briggs took Bobby out uh, near his work, near, near his base, to uh, basically get bonding time, you know, father yeah. son time. Uh, and it was basically, as Bobby puts it, it's where they went to imagine things and like there was their pretend place. And Bobby actually named it Jack Rabbit's Palace, which shows again that Major Briggs was expecting Bobby to read this. Yeah, because he's, he's the, the only person yeah. who can decode this. This is a code, none of that cigar bullshit. <laughs> this, this is a message that only one person was ever going to be able to understand so exactly. he knew it was going to be him that was reading this yeah. uh, interesting the the two five threes popping up again in the both the time and the the distance and the distance oh you're right so yeah it's 253 yeah. yards yeah it's interesting that that's how he references this place it's, it's not it's from this do you know this location it's exactly that distance from from there yeah uh so no uh very very cool uh, very, very cool. And I, I can see this kind of relating to another scene we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, but So obviously he wants them to go there and, you know, Truman says, yeah, but let's go. You can lead the way in a couple of days as he intended. And again, you know, all throughout this, like Bobby's smiling and he's happy to talk about this stuff. Uh, it's kind of warm, heartwarming to see him 
yeah. sort of treat his dad with disrespect because I, I, he never I also did. really like that that Truman kind of has that respect as well. He's like, no, clearly this was for you. You're yeah. taking the lead on this. We're we're going to follow along. We're going to be back up. You know, we're going to support you. But this was your message. Yeah, do you know what I like about it? it? It retroactively makes Bobby feel a lot more important because before he was he was the, the shitty boyfriend who was having yeah. an affair and they, like that was just kind of his thing, uh, and that was that was it. Uh, but now it feels like no, no. It makes Briggs feel more important as well. Actually, thinking about it, like obviously he he teased some big stuff back when he was on the show, but now it's yeah. like no, no. Like he had a big thing like going forward. That's it. Briggs was always kind of he was a a bridge to just information. Yeah, he he often represented the government and a means to present information to Cooper, but he never was that important himself. Yeah, but this is retroactively made him a lot more important because there's this mystery of where was he? Did he actually die? And we'll talk about that more in a second. But I, I actually, despite the fact that this episode has a lot, lot more shorter scenes that's jumping around a lot more, it actually feels quite focused because Briggs is this kind of anchor. He's this bridge, to use that word again, yeah. uh, that links a lot of the main plots together in this episode. You know, They go and see Briggs's body. They go and talk to Hastings. Briggs comes up there. Briggs comes up here. They go and see Briggs's wife. Like All of it kind of ties back into him. For the most yeah. part, you know, outside of one or two uh, other scenes, uh, obviously Cooper and uh, Ike the Spike uh, sticking out there. Um, so yeah, uh, and then there's a second bit of paper uh, which has a lot of coding on it, and then in that coding there's the word Cooper twice, which I want to point out. I'm pretty sure we saw a very similar bit of paper back in the original show. We definitely did. It's when because I remember when we were doing our reviews. This is where they 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 spent mentioned the code that came from space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the way they presented it. I don't remember exactly what I said, but was it Cooper twice then? Because it definitely had no, Cooper's no, name. No, no, surely. I remember because we saw it twice. The first time was when he first came up with this aliens thing, and we were going nuts. Oh, aliens! Yeah. Uh, and it, that was when it was uh, it was the same message the giant had told him. It was like the same, we'll give you three clues, give me your ring, yeah. blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, the second time, though, was later in season two, uh, and it was Cooper's name. And it was like, uh, I think it was just before the giant appeared to him, uh, warning him or saying it was happening again. It may have been then. Mm. Uh, I'd have to go back and check. But uh, yeah, it said Cooper. Although if I'm correct in thinking, it was more than two. Right. It okay. was it was like five or six Coopers. Because obviously, I think this is explained in a little bit anyway. But I was just wondering if it happened to have been the same message as before. Because again, yeah. the the time whiny stuff. Yeah, I, I think I think what this is is that it's a message. Although, keep in mind, though, this would have been in this rod for the last 25 years. It's not like that this just true. happened. So no, that's the, true. Uh, so I think that's interesting if we're going to relate it. But then again, time away, mate. Okay. Yeah, something I also thought was very interesting, as we, as the camera focused on this second page, we got the hum come back in. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The hum did come back in. Um, so obviously, I think clearly, yeah, these messages are maybe like when the army's like base picks up messages it's like intercepting stuff that some of the people from the lodge are saying. Yes. That appears to be what they are. Obviously, you could misread this here because Hawk kind of misreads this, even though he's actually on the right lines. He says two Coopers. Now, obviously, that saying Cooper twice, I don't actually think means that there's two Coopers, like, even though we know there is. Uh, but this is Hawk using what he knows and reading that and going, two Coopers, and it's like... Do you all about this? It could still mean two coop. Like it could still I mean, mean just exactly it, it that. Could, it could, yeah, it could. After it all. could because obviously back to those original messages, like you say, they were kind of a the warnings. They were maybe Cooper was 
receiving the messages himself anyway, but they were the same warnings. It was like a backup plan, perhaps. When, when we got the message in season two, where it had like five or six of them, it felt more like someone was calling out to him and he wasn't answering. Yeah, it, it was more of a... Yeah. Rather than just picking up on it, it was actually a direct communication almost. It was like, we know they'll be listening. And they were speaking to them. And I'm wondering, could this be that? Uh, especially given where it comes up, like, is this going, no, Cooper, Cooper, get the two Coopers sort of thing. Well, the fact that it's from 25 years ago maybe implies that it is specifically that. And it's, it is a warning saying, no, there's two of them. And we've yeah. already heard them say, oh, the, the bad one's in the lodge from the diary. Like, and it, this is the kind of thing, like, again, all these pieces going to a place where we can see how they're going to, like, connect and make sense later for the characters. It's like, what happens when Albert and Gordon meet the, the team from Twin Peaks and go, by the way, there's two Coopers. Like, you know, yeah. do, do they hear that from them before they, they find it themselves and that I, blows I their minds? I can see them both trying to tell each other at the same time as the, yeah, you know, the, the comedy that. of it. Um, but no, very interesting. Obviously, so you've got them working these lines out. I'm not going to guess that next episode's when we'll see them go to this Jack's Palace place or Jack Rabbit's Palace. Uh, I'm also going to go based on, you know, the, the original show was pretty much was episode per day. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to see if this was in two episodes' time. It could be. Um, I almost wonder if, like, not only, like, you know how we have this whole end of the episode is often the the performance and the and the roadhouse. Yeah. I wonder if that also signals that's the end of a day. So if we don't have one of them at the end of the episode, it's not actually a day change. Oh, that's possible. And the reason why I'm saying that is because the one before episode day, I think, was the one in the diner. And it's almost yeah. like, uh, oh, well, the next episode's all in that night as well, because that's when, you know, Cooper, Doppelcoop gets shot and then it's all in the past. Yeah, because I think the only other one was, you know, one and two, which were were a double, but if you watch them separately. Yeah. So that first one doesn't have a uh, performance. Yeah. So, so you might be onto something. I, I could there. be wrong, but I just, you know, piece in the. Although, I just want to say, if that is true. That bar is amazing to get that that sort of talent every night of the week. Oh god, I know. Um, also, just to, just to before we move on, just going back to the symbols. Mm. Uh, oh, obviously, the, the the idea you have to be that specific time is clearly been hinted at a lot in this episode. I'm just wondering if is the moon something to do with that? And what if it isn't the moon? Uh, we often talk about how these messages are coming from like past Saturn. What if this actually represents? The not not the eclipse of the moon, but the eclipse of Saturn. Like when we see that, or maybe Jupiter or something like that. Like yeah, uh, when you say red, I think you think Mars. Oh yeah, it could be Mars. Yeah, that's a good point. Could red, but uh, yeah, I'm just thinking. Okay, we're we're thinking moon because we because typically you think of uh, you know that shape of like the half moon. You just think of the moon, but yeah, it could be a planet as well. Like it could be, yeah. yeah. So no, that makes sense. All right, so we go back to South Dakota, uh, and we have a very long, mostly quiet scene. Uh, uh, Diane's outside smoking and Gordon and Tammy come out to join her and he even says yeah we came out to join you Diane and he's, just, he's kind of enthusiastic about it and what I th- obviously the main kind of thing that's happening in this scene and it is kind of amusing because Gordon's because he mentioned he quit smoking a couple of episodes ago and he's kind of just watching her smoke and he's clearly like gagging to join in yeah. and but the way I read this scene which I thought was maybe the depth to it more so than just what was that happening on the surface is that Tammy doesn't seem very happy to be out there in the first place, and there's been kind of this weird, you know, kind of tension between her and Diane, and it's almost like she's the new Diane for them, and there's this weird hostility between them because of that. They don't really respect each other. There's kind of this, mm. you know, like, you're my replacement, so I don't really like you, screw you, and then Tammy's kind of like, trying to be respectful, but she's clearly not happy to be around her. 
I think it's also interesting. It's again, you know, the the smoke is kind of old and new. Mm. So Diane smoking represents, you know, that's that's how Gordon used to be. That's how things were in the past. Yeah. And then Tammy's is no, you shouldn't do smoking. That's the new way. And then obviously it ends with him taking the cigarette and smoking. And it's like, you know, maybe he's going, no, nah, old ways are better. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, it was just the way she kind of disapproves of it because she says his name just before he starts. As yeah. if, you know, you shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. It's almost like, oh, you're siding with her? Like, no, yeah. what, what are you doing? Uh, but a very, very funny scene. It's like, it'd be very easy to just assume nothing's happening, but if you're watching uh, Lynch's eyes follow what's going on, you can see what's happening. Yeah. It's, it it's goes on for a long time, though, considering they mostly just stood there in silence. Yeah, but they have this moment of like reflection where they're, they're, they're sort of just... Uh, you know, reminiscing about, you know, smoking together in the past and Tammy feels kind of left out. I think that's kind of the point of the scene more than anything else. Is she's this new entity. She's part of the new generation. She's a filthy millennial. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, there, there is a pre-established bond between mm. these others. That, you know, maybe, you know, it's it's been strained, but it's still there. Which, to, and that's not to say that Tammy is uh, less valuable. I think it'll just be a case of, we'll see how the new blood helps the situation in, in their own way at some point. Uh, yeah. But the idea that yeah, there's these old bonds between these old characters that they can't quite, uh, you know, they, they, there's something there to that. Uh, all right, so then we have the big scene with Bill, Bill Hastings, uh, Matthew Lillard back. Of course, we've not seen him since the start, I think, of episode two, maybe even the end of episode one. Uh, it's been a while. But uh, he he's in interrogation. It's Tammy that goes in. Actually, Tammy has her sort of moment here where she's the one who goes in and talks to him and goes through the through all the information here. I've got a big list of things here, of course. So much, so much came up in this scene. Fascinating stuff. So, first up, uh, we find out that his blog about alternate realities, another dimension, is called The Search for the Zone, which, by the way, if you look for it, it is there on the interwebs. And and it looks like a shitty old website from the the early 90s. Uh, It looks awful. You know, with the the, the flashing coloured links and Honestly, I'd have been more surprised if it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of it's, a lot of TV shows and uh, do this because it's so easy just to to knock it up. That uh, is just the easy promotion. But essentially. Here's, here's the thing, though, with this being Twin Peaks and with it being Lynch, you expect there's going to be some good nuggets of information, something, something buried in there. Yeah, even if it's in the code. Like, I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of weeks, like some hacker, not well, not a hacker, but you know, some some. Some you know someone with the the knowledge to look through code has went through it and like oh there's a, there's a hidden message in the code. Yeah, check Reddit in a week or so. <laughs> yeah, all the zeros and ones they mean something. Um, but yeah, so it's called the search for the zone. And uh, so they talk, he talks a bit more about Ruth, and it it really feels like they had this this shared interest, and maybe that's how they became like that's how the, the affair started. Like he he was into this kind of thing, she was also into it. Uh, Ruth found information about getting to a certain place at a certain time, mm. uh, and they went there, and that's where they, they went into the zone, as they call it. Although we're we're obviously thinking lodge, but I mean it may not be the lodge as we think of it either. Well, that's it. I'm I'm saying wondering if it is the lodge or if it's something else. Well, this is the thing, because uh, they say the major was hiding there, uh, and then he corrects himself and says, he said actually he said hibernating. Yeah. Which is interesting. Now, obviously, it explains why his body's not older than it should be. Because, obviously, we've had Cooper... I mean, Cooper's aged in the lodge, which is maybe why you'd think maybe Major Briggs was somewhere else. But it's that he didn't just die in a fire. That's what people thought it happened, because fire... Yeah. Maybe there was, a, there was a corpse. Maybe there wasn't a corpse. I don't think they never specified, actually. Uh, but... 
so he was somewhere, kind of like Cooper, although he clearly, unlike Cooper, seemed to have been about his wits the entire time and was kind of aware of what was Yeah, by choice, going on. it seemed. Yeah, so, and he mentions that other, other, other beings, other people were looking for uh, the major there, so he, he was hiding, even though he corrected and said hibernating, he was hiding, uh, and Briggs did want to leave. So Briggs wanted them to find information, and he, he mentions that Ruth was good at basically researching and recovering old records so it sounds like they went into like some of the old uh project blue book or some of the army stuff where over major was working before and got coordinates for briggs and they went back to give briggs the coordinates and obviously we know that doppelkoop wanted coordinates that's what uh what's his face what was, what was the other guy called ray uh, that's, that's what they wanted ray to give him like that's yeah. that's and we know that ray was there in fact he even mentions that someone else was there and demanded to know uh, what Bill's wife was called and held him down. And at this point, I noted down, I thought, was this something else? But then I was thinking, no, this may have just been a person because he just mentioned someone else was there uh, and demanded to know uh, who his wife was. And we know that his wife ended up getting killed by Doppelkoop. So again, all these dots are kind of starting to line up a little bit. Uh, So really, really cool. Uh, so Tammy pulls out some photographs and says, can you identify the man that you you, you called the major? And he, he does, he points to Briggs. And she says, circle it and sign and date it. And he does. Here's something interesting here. And this, I don't know what this means, but let's, let's dive into this. Did you notice the date that he wrote down? No. What was the date? Well, remember in the other scene in Twin Peaks, they, they mentioned, oh, that's two days from now. And they're talking about the 1st of October. Yeah, sure. So end of September. So twenty eighth. Yeah. Uh, assuming my 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 incredibly simple math is right, uh, he writes down the twentieth of September. He he writes down nine slash twenty. Uh, so there's multiple ways I could read this. One is that he writes down the wrong date because he's out of it because he's went through this and. Maybe he 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 is legitimately lost a week somewhere when he went into the zone. <laughs> I don't been. know. Although you feel like they'd have corrected him, like they'd go, "No, that's the wrong date. We need the the accurate maybe. date." Yeah, maybe. Uh, but here's the thing. So oh, maybe you're saying, "Okay, so the stuff that's happening outside of Twin Peaks isn't happening at the exact same time." However, we did see the key get sent back to the Great Northern, and then it arrived a few days later. So. None of the rest of the show to me says that there's actually a... I mean, admittedly, it's only about a week or so. It's not a big difference. Yeah. My, my only thing is, I, I didn't catch this. I assume it was relatively small, this date that it was written. Uh, and, normal handwriting size. Right, okay. I'm just wondering, because, you know, the, with the shot, is it possible that a zero could have just looked like it? That uh, An eight could have looked like a zero? They're both kind of rounded shapes. The second time I watched that, I paused it. On the, okay, I'll have to take your word for it. I mean, I'm tempted to go look at it again just to see, like, you know, is it still, yeah, obvious? But it, it definitely looked like a zero to me, uh, more than anything else. So I don't know if this is a like a week earlier than the other stuff in Twin Peaks. I mean, maybe when everything actually connects later, we'll find out that yeah, it was a week earlier. But my my real concern is there's no year. That's true. So is it a week earlier? <laughs> right, yeah, I see where you're going. Yeah. Um. Well, no, it can't be. It can't be because we saw the FBI look at the box in New York, and then 
and then that led to like Cooper becoming or replacing Duggan. Could it be a year later? I, I uh, think for this to work though, ev- everything but the FBI scenes. No, but then that then that relates to Doppel Cooper, and Doppel Cooper had the same that's effects. That's it. Everything's still kind of because D- D- closely related, isn't it? Doppel Cooper had the effects of Cooper coming out of the lodge at the same time. Like all these yes. things have lined up. Like there's too there's too many connections between all the different plots to. The only thing that feels like it could be a separate part is Twin Peaks itself. Yeah, but even then we have the key. Even then it's the key, yeah. Yeah. So, which is why I'm yeah. thinking maybe he's written down... I mean, maybe Tammy didn't notice. Like, she's not really looked... Look. I think he... he uh, I just went back and checked in this now. Mm. He does say 9.20 out loud. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. He actually says it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Quietly, but it's got to be a week off, hasn't it? But it doesn't really. How and why? My old, my old, I mean, at least from a storytelling perspective, it means maybe the, the FBI characters will do something of importance before they go to Twin Peaks, and it'll explain why they can just be there at the the, the right time. Kind yeah. of idea, but uh, I see what you're saying. But there's a couple of things that don't quite line up, uh, perhaps. Or maybe they do. Maybe if I went back and actually charted it all, maybe it could possibly. Like maybe they were in sync. Before and it's only been the last like, you know, while they've been in South Dakota that things have been a week behind and everything else has moved ahead. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Okay. It's hard to say. Uh, but continue with the scene. Uh, so he, they mentioned. So it's worth mentioning. Yeah. So someone else was there, which we were assuming was maybe Ray, given all the, the other scenes we've had with him talking about getting the information. They they went back to see Briggs after that. They got the coordinates and they went back. They went back to give him the coordinates. But uh, so here's what happened when when this went down. So it gave him the numbers. He then floated in the air, and I'm assuming he's talking about Briggs. It was kind of I, I assumed Briggs as well. Yeah, it, it was it was a little bit tough to make out from the sense that he mentioned uh, like the others before he, he mentioned Briggs again. So it was it was hard to tell if he maybe mentioned if he was talking about another person. But I think he was talking about Briggs. Uh, gave Briggs the numbers, he floated up in the air and then said, Cooper, Cooper, which of course, on the and, paper... And this is what I'm wondering, did he give himself that message? Like, did he... Through time? Uh, yeah, hmm. so 25 years ago when he wrote that down, he presumably had the vision, dream, whatever it was, however he saw it, and interpreted this message or, or just got it through the, the machines in the government where they picked yeah. up the signal. Well, oh, I'm not entirely sure because obviously all that stuff kind of connects together with the Bobby stuff. Yeah, what fascinates me about this is, okay, we've seen we've just last episode seen someone floating, we've seen the giant floating, and it's interesting to me that like it, it was Briggs becoming, yeah, like someone like the giant. Was he maybe gearing up to replace the giant or something like that? I, I don't know. Uh, and if he was, like, was taking him out the the game like a big blow to the the, the good side of the fight, as it were. That's it, isn't it? It's... I, I, I don't know. But uh, for for what's fascinating about this to me is like, there's no way. I mean, arguably Ruth could have like got information, I suppose. But th- there's no at least obvious way that Bill should know who Cooper is. So him actually saying Cooper, Cooper kind of tells at least or you know at least albert and gordon and tammy there's some legitimacy to what he's yeah saying. there's there's some and you know obviously we know that he's probably telling the truth given everything we've seen in the show yeah. uh i like how terrified he is in this scene by the way i i think he really sells the fear that those forces out with his control uh that 
that are affecting things, and he's terrified. And then he mentions what when he's pushed to talk about like uh, he says, uh, "It was beautiful," and then Ruth was dead. <laughs> like, that's how he phrases it when he's talking about how this all went down. This was beautiful, and it sounds like just after this happened, he talks. There was many people there, and that immediately made me think woodsman. Yeah, that's why I did do that. Did the woodsmen show up? Were the woodsmen the ones that killed Ruth, uh, and left left him there holding her, and as it says? If if there was many, why was there only one in the jail cell? Um. Well, because we talked about how maybe. Well, because when this happened, they were still with Briggs. From the yes. sounds of it, that, that, this yeah. is, they were still in this other place. Whether this was the lodge exactly, or if it was like an offshoot to the lodge or whatever. Um. Obviously, I think the reason why I think the reason why that that woodsman was in the jail cell with him was because they just went through all this. Maybe this woodsman was monitoring him in the jail cell for more information because that that was it was right after the scene with the wife that we seen the woodsman in the jail cell. Yes. So I'm wondering if the woodsman was paying attention to that conversation because they were they they want to know what it's leading to because again the next time we see a woodsman in present day was at the morgue walking past Briggs's body whilst they were trying to figure out information yeah, out yeah and, and they did ask what's his wife's name assuming yeah. that was them although I still think yeah. that may have been uh, Ray or yeah yeah it might well have been I'm just just you know putting it together maybe they're all working on the same side possibly um, but so I think it's interesting that every time we've seen the woodsman in present day outside of Doppelcoop himself and obviously they came to get the you know Bob Bob yeah. Egg <laughs> out of his or Bob Orb out of his stomach uh, it's always been to do in, in some way with Briggs and the, like a, they're following the path of the information that, where that could be going that's it they never they never interact they're not following the, the body or anything they're following the conversations around it yeah so they're very they're very keen on knowing if anyone's going to actually come looking for Briggs or figure out what Briggs was doing yeah so it it very much feels like yeah if they, if they're uh, a force for the, the dark side of the, the the world that they are concerned with Briggs because Briggs if he wasn't going to be a replacement for the giant he, he was at least he was a force for good he he was definitely someone who was fighting oh, yeah. on the right side so they seem to be wanting to they've already stopped him I suppose but they're wanting to stop it reigniting or they're wanting to stop someone else picking up that, that in that's his place. the question are they wanting to learn what other people know or like like for what purpose is it so that they can you know just follow how far along they are and know if they have to intervene yeah. or is it because they might learn something they don't know yet I don't think it's because I would lean towards the former I think it's because they want to because if people learn too much, if if other people figure things out, they may ac- try to accomplish whatever Briggs was trying to accomplish, and they want to yeah. stop that. I feel like that's more likely. I don't, I don't think it's that, that they. That, that was my first thought yeah. as well, but just just on the off chance that they they'd learn something, they're, they're they're hunting for information for their own purpose. Yeah. So, uh, so so yeah, Bill Bill's a complete mess. He's blubbering through the whole thing. He, he's 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 really distraught. All of this, of course, was fascinating stuff. Everything about this, we're thinking Woodsman, we're we're hearing about Briggs and where he's been all this time. Mm. Uh, it's all great stuff. Uh, of course, he then blubbers about how he wanted to go to the Bahamas or whatever it was with uh, with Ruth, uh, and he kept saying he wanted to go scuba diving, which was really weird because every time he said scub scuba, I kept thinking of Scooby Doo because he was shaggy, and it sounded very similar to that. It was weird, uh, but after he's all of his blubbering, we we get a great Albert line. 
it, it just cuts back to Albert and the you know behind the uh, the mirror and he's like, fruit cake, anyone? Love Albert. Albert's Brilliant. great. I, I do love Albert. He's, he's fantastic. Uh, and I think it's interesting that again, it feels like we're slowly getting back to what the show used to be in a lot of ways. I don't think it'll ever be the exact same, but this one, as we said, had a lot more of these comedy beats, these these funnier moments. Uh, more of the music, including the later party music, it's after this scene that we cut back to the trees of Twin Peaks, and Laura's theme plays again, much yeah. like it did a few episodes ago. Uh, very ominous, of course, and then it cuts to the the establishing shot of uh, the Great Northern that we're, we're so used to. And again, so we've seen the photo earlier on, it's like us linking those things together. Uh, and again, we're back with Ben and Beverly, who are again listening for this noise, this hum, uh, which isn't the exact same hum, of course, that we keep hearing with the outlets and with uh, lodge-related activity. Uh, as they even mention, this is more of a, a mesmerizing hum. It sounds more more pleasant, I guess, is what yeah. you just. In fact, Ben at one point calls calls it otherworldly, and how right he probably is. He probably is. Show. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the other main thing here is that Beverly kind of like accidentally makes a move. Uh, <laughs> Inten- yeah. I think it's an intentional accident, though. I-, I agree, based on what we saw last time. Yeah. Uh, she makes a move, and Ben... Dude, Ben apparently has is a better person than he used to be. Uh, he he turns away and says, we can't do this, Beverly. Uh, and he says, I don't know why, why it can't, but it can't. Uh, I thought that was a very interesting phrasing, the way, the way, the way he said it. But, but yeah, he, he, yeah. He, tur- he turns it down. He's... He's an improved person, uh, but clearly something is brewing in Peaks and Twin Peaks. Uh, it's it's all about to shatter. Here's a question, uh, and Andy's obsessed about picking his chair. Is is he is he giving up the case about looking for the guy who knocked down the kid? <laughs> Do your job, Andy. <laughs> to be fair, if I was going to get a comfy new chair, I'd probably be concerned about that too. Case in point. Um, so. After that, we actually cut to the uh, the roadhouse, uh, insinuating we're ending, and we're you know, we're, we're all, you know we're so near the episode end of the episode that we actually were it could have been the end, and it almost is because we, we actually stay in the roadhouse till the end at this point. Yeah. Uh, but there's a kind of a DJ on stage, and it cuts to some characters who I've not seen before. I cut the names just from the credits. So that's that's the reason why I know the, the names. Uh, but Ella is the sort of the the blonde, the main one that we see. Yeah. Uh, who I originally wrote down as Rash Girl. Fair enough. Uh, and then the other girl is uh, Chloe. Uh, they both appear to be junkies uh, yeah. in, in large capacity. They have that kind of look about them. Uh, and of course they even talk about going to work high and everything else. So obviously yeah. uh, that's the type of characters. Uh, I want to point out how disgusting the sound effect of Ella scratching her rash was during this scene. Yeah, I was physically uncomfortable uh, numerous times. And do you know what? I was fully expecting it to just like peel off in a oh, yeah, scratch. I, I was fully expecting just a chunk of flesh to peel away with a hand and it to be horrifically disgusting. Mm. So, yeah, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, so, they talk about they basically talk about how Ella's lost her job. She got fired because she showed up high to work. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. I was still doing the job. Uh, and then she's like, oh, you got a new job then. What are you doing now? She's like, oh, I'm still serving burgers just across the street like, okay uh, the two the two bits of dialogue I wrote down though there was, a, there was two really cryptic lines in this conversation mm. one was early on and another one was towards the end uh, one of them said to the other that zebra's out again yeah and then towards the end of the scene one of them said have you seen that penguin 
penguin, rather. Yeah, that was that was a weird pronunciation of penguin. It's one of these things where if I just say the word penguin, I'll just say penguin. But when I read it because it's spelt that way, I'll I'll I try and say it the way it's written. Fair enough. I I, I just slight slight tangent here. Uh-huh. I fully recommend everyone YouTubing uh, Benedict Cumberbatch saying the word penguin. It's fantastic. Okay, that was a weird... But he, he butchers it completely. That was a weird recommendation, but fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, my first thought, with the first sentence, the zebra's out again, I just assumed they were talking about drugs, and it was just a code word. Yeah. But then the second one didn't feel that way at all. The second, the penguin one felt... I don't know... Strange. Strange, yeah. Like, I didn't know what they were talking about. Now, obviously, this isn't the first junkie character we've had. We had the junkie mother, uh, who yeah. had the kid across the street from where uh, Cooper came out. And I don't know. Oh, well, that reminds me of something, actually. Um, but, yeah, I can just go into that because I don't have anything else to say about this scene. I have no idea what's going on with these two. I have no idea what the purpose is. I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, penguins and zebras, I think, for both of them, I think, black and white. Yeah, yeah that's true. Both black and white. And this is maybe a bit of a stretch, but I did think at one point during this scene, well, rashies are red. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I also want to say yeah, the the DJ uh, was actually playing a lot of reverse samples, so they were you know just the sounds playing backwards, which I thought was interesting given all the the way the the lodge stuff was recorded. Hmm. Don't know if that was intentional or not, or just the zebra's out again. I don't it know. makes me wonder who is the zebra? Someone? I don't know. Or is it something? I'm assuming these characters, if, if this does mean anything else, I'm assuming these characters don't actually know what it means. I would assume so. Like, this is like something weird they've picked up because when they've been high, they've gotten like a weird message <laughs> from someone. Well, yeah, but given that we see uh, Jerry kind of in a, a similar state of mind. That is true, yeah, right. If we're going with the idea that Jerry's kind of feeling some of the things that Cooper's feeling... Who who are these connected to? Yeah. And and to go back into the the drug stuff uh, in the original show, uh, you know, you had to take the drug to suppress uh, one armed man coming through. You know, when 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 Bob was near. That's right. Yeah, that, that there was, was uh... there was a theme of of drugs being this connection or a blocker in that case, but ah, yeah. it's a similar sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, Gerard. Um, yeah. That's a good point. Uh. Uh, that is interesting. Like, I, I, I don't know if these people are necessarily blocking someone coming through, but the the, the idea that it's opening up some kind of messaging from somewhere, yeah, uh, is is interesting. I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe the idea that the drug business is so popular in Twin Peaks, despite it being a small town, maybe has something to do with the fact that so many people feel the effects of the town, like they feel something's coming. Yeah, and also obviously, you know, drug, hard drugs are they're you know they're typically not a good thing, and we know that the the lodge thrives on acts of evil and yeah. know, darkness, and you know maybe just the idea of this drug epidemic in general kind of has given that sense to the whole town. Yeah, the fact that there's a bigger population and a lot of them are maybe going through this mm. is fueling the lodge. Yeah, it's fueling Bob and fueling others like him. Mm, exactly. All, all that Garmin Bosia. Exactly, all that stuff. Yeah. Do you remember what Garmin Bozzi is? I do, it was a few episodes ago, wasn't it? Well, it was, it was fire a lot with me when it first came up. Oh, yeah. But it was, it was been in this show as well, right? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's been mentioned. Uh, I'm sure it's been mentioned. Once or twice. Uh, Unless we've just mentioned it on here, and probably. that's why it's in my yeah. mind. Uh, pain and suffering, for anyone who's forgotten, pain and suffering yeah. is Gavin Bozia, uh, which many people seem to think is the stuff that Doppelkut was spewing up in the car. That's why it looks so funky. That's why I've seen the na- the word recently. There's people in the comments ah, mentioning yes, it. Yeah. I know it's in, in, in relation to specifically this part of the show. Uh, yeah, actually, I wanted to bring up something that I'd seen that was very interesting. It uh, could, could be nothing, uh, but online there were some photos going around uh, comparing a young Frank Silva, who played Bob, yeah, uh, to the uh, the young man who was in the 50s segment of the last episode, and they look very similar. Now, it could be a coincidence, may not actually may be him, but I don't know if the idea, if it, if it is, say, if this is young Bob, like this is the person that Bob kind of took and became yeah. him kind of thing, I don't know. Yeah. Like, if the bug was Bob that went to the girl, like, does the bug then transfer to him because he's weaker or stronger or whatever? And Should be. That's why Bob even has, like, an image. Like, that's, that's why he has, like, what he looks like is because it's, it's based on this person because that's who he became, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. Just an idea. Just Unless it's the idea that, you know, Bob has to be born and... That that boy would be the father, so oh, yeah. Bob would it. look like the father. Oh, I said up until now, there's been no evidence that Bob ever actually had a physical no, presence. There hasn't. So no, it's true. So who's to say if that's the case? But no, I just thought it was interesting. It was it was an interesting uh, extra bit of stuff from from the interwebs who obviously have things. So yeah, I have no idea uh, what these two two junkies uh, means all that much. Uh, but yeah, certainly if we're to compare it to Jerry and his his seemingly getting kind of at least thematic connections, yeah, to what other characters are going through, like what other characters are these two connecting to, is a very interesting question. I can't think of any off the top of my head, especially since I am assuming it would be people who are affected in some way by the lodge. I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure who it would be, but. Uh, question. That's a good answer. If you've got an idea in the comments, uh, yeah, if you can, th- if you can think of anyone that those two characters might be. Basically, the way I'm kind of comparing it in my head, the, the way we're describing Jerry, like getting some of like Cooper's like feelings, is kind of like a this weird empath connection. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's maybe what's happening with these two as well. That's a good, that's a good idea. Uh, but there you go. That is that has been episode nine, part nine of Twin Peaks: The Return. Uh, we didn't quite match the length of the last one, but it was still pretty long. <laughs> we're we're up there still. Yeah, we're we're hitting our twenty, so we will wrap this up pretty quickly. So thank you very much for watching. Uh, hopefully, we we had some thoughts and theories, uh, or at least recap some vital details that you may have missed uh, to make things interesting. So. Obviously, we'll be back next week. Let us know what you thought of the episode in the comments below. Uh, thoughts and theories, all that stuff. Get us on Twitter at mailed underscore fuzz for channel updates. Uh, if you want to support the channel and all, everything we do here, head over to patreon.com slash mailedfuzztv. Uh, you can support us over there and see some of the bonuses you can get. Uh, but that is us. So thank you very much once again. I am starving. I am going to go have some pizza because we have been recording for a while. So we'll see you next time. Have you got any vanilla? Vanilla. <laughs>